morning. I want to welcome you if you are viewing on the internet or some other form of social media. I invite you to get out your notes. We'll get there shortly. We're going to be talking this morning about the value of God's Word. I have a PowerPoint up here. This is very disturbing to me. The number of non-Christian millennials who have never read the Bible. This research is done by George Barnabas. There's a lot of research. You can find about anything you want and a whole lot you don't want on there. But uh, that is a very disturbing number. 62% of non-Christian millennials have never read the Bible. Now that doesn't mean they haven't been exposed to it. Tim Tebow did a good job of helping them get exposed to the Bible. And, uh, you know, they'll see John 4.16, a lot of football stadiums. Uh, or 316. Where did I get that? I have read my Bible. Uh, but I think part of that comes from the way that non Christians perceive the Bible. The Bible is a useful book of moral teachings. 30% of it. It's just to help us be good people. The Bible is a dangerous book. Nearly the same amount of people. Religious dogma used for centuries to oppress people. I've never felt oppressed by reading my Bible. Uh, the Bible is an outdated book with no relevance for today, 19%. But this is from non-Christians. But you know the sad thing about some of the statistics that I found, there's not a lot of difference between non-Christians and Christians. I didn't try to list all of these, but I thought those were interesting numbers. We'll look at some more in a little bit. I have a few Bibles with me this morning. Uh, these came out of my library. This, of course, these are not digital Bibles. I have a lot more on digital. But there's a whole box full of Bibles. I mean, they're everything from these. This, I think this one was given to me as a gift. Uh, there's another study Bible. These are still in the boxes. But I have lots of Bibles. There's... One version, here's a one-year chronological Bible and a one-year Bible that you just read. Uh, there's a New Testament. Uh, just tons and tons of Bibles, and I've got Bible after Bible after Bible. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the value of God's Word this morning, and, and I definitely won't be talking about cost, because if I did... If cost was an issue, I wouldn't have that many Bibles. So there's a huge difference between cost and value. And I think this is the one I wanted to pick out of there. I may not have it with me. But this is not all of it. It's not. It's one that looks similar to this. But I have a Bible from a lady that uh, was a member of our church. Our first church we pastored in Sacramento, Kentucky. And uh, I think when she showed it to me the first time, she was about 92, 93 years old. But in the front of her Bible, she had listed the dates of every time where she had finished reading the Bible. And it was just date after date after date after date. She had just, she'd read the Bible, and she'd get through it, and she'd start off. That's just the way she did her fight. But it wasn't really the amount of time that she spent in the Word that made a difference in her life. 
but rather it was the amount of the word that got into her that made the difference in her life. You see, it's not about making sure that you read 14 chapters every day or try to read it in a certain amount of time and that sort of thing. That's important that we read all of God's Word. But the main thing is how much of it do we allow to get inside of us? How much of it do we really take in? And how much of it do we value? I read a story, some of you have probably heard this story before, but about a preacher who was in view of a call. He went in to visit the church as a new pastor. He went around to the Sunday school classes and talked to different classes. And One morning he went into the young children's class and he asked the teacher to step out just for a minute so that he would talk to the little boys and girls and, and uh, he might really find out if they were being taught God's word. And so he just asked, started asking some questions. And he thought what he he asked what he thought was a very simple question, and he just asked, who destroyed the walls or made the walls of Jericho fall down? And a little boy named Johnny stood up and said, Preacher, I've done a lot of bad things, but it wasn't me. Feeling a little disturbed, he went to the teacher and told the teacher what the little boy had said. And some school teacher said, Well, Preacher, I know that boy's family really well. He's a good boy. If he didn't make those walls fall down, I believe him, because he would tell you if he did. Not long after that, he went to a deacon's meeting. He was disturbed about the teacher's answer and about the little boy and his knowledge of the Bible. And he told the, the deacons a story. And an old deacon stood up and said, Now, preacher, you need not be disturbed. This church is a giving church, and I'm sure we have enough money to rebuild those walls if you really did make them fall down. You know, that's a funny story, and it really does help us kind of see, really, I believe, where the depth of study is in a lot of churches. And one of the statistics that I saw that disturbed me was that in a recent study of just Southern Baptists, they found that over 70% of Southern Baptists said they did not read their Bible on a daily basis. Now, I'm not saying that you know, there might have been some of them in there that, well, I remember three months ago that I missed a couple of days because of such. What they were surveying was, do you read your Bible? Is it a habit that you read your Bible every day? You will regularly read your Bible on a daily basis. It was a question worded similar to that. And over 70% of Southern Baptists said they do not read their Bibles each day. Now, I don't read the same amount every day. Sometimes I'll read just a little bit, and it's something that God begins to work on me with, and I begin to chew on that, and so I don't go very far. But C.S. Lewis said this, and this I think I put this in your notes. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. I think the one reason that America does not value God's word is because our generation and generations way before us have never really been challenged about what it cost us so how do we value God's word there's a huge difference between cost and value if you don't believe that 
buy something that you really, really like and you, you just have to have it and you don't research the cost or the value of that and then try to resell it. Uh, we'll find ourselves many times on the short end of that deal. Uh, one example that I have is refrigerant Freon is, is more commonly called. Uh, back when the, the Freon for the car was outlawed and the cost of that stuff started going up and up and up, and the last drum of that I bought, and I'm talking about a drum, I'm talking about just a 30-pound cylinder that might like you hook up to your charcoal grill, something of that size, was over $900. And two years prior to that, you could buy that same refrigerant for yeah, 30 bucks. And I still have a drum of that that I paid. I didn't pay 900 I think the last I paid for it was almost $700 for the drum. And I still have a drum of that. You know how much it's worth today? Well, that's the difference between cost and value. The reason it's not worth anything is because nobody needs it. And nobody wants it. So there's a huge difference between cost and value. When we talk about value of God's Word, it's more than just what it costs us. It really doesn't cost us as Americans anything more than just our time to read. Here's something that I thought was kind of amazing. 45% of Americans strongly agree that the Bible contains everything a person needs to, to know to live a meaningful life. What I thought was a little bit hilarious about that, more people thought that American politicians would be more effective if they read the Bible on a daily basis. So evidently it's better for the politicians than it is for the general public, but uh, only 45% believe that it contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. We've lost how we value God's Word, what it means to even have God's Word. Twenty-five years ago, over half of American adults believed that the Bible was totally accurate in all of the principles that it teaches. In other words, it was the infallible Word of God. I still believe that today. But today, that number has fallen to somewhere around the 19 to 20% of people that believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. Now, the question I have with that is, is, is which part is not true? How do we start pulling out the untruths? If we don't believe that the Bible is everything we need to live a meaningful life, then we will not value God's Word. Now, when I look at how many volumes of Bibles that I have there, and all of the media access that I have, iPhone and different versions that I have on my phone and my computer, I've probably got 150 Bibles. That means that about 
every other day I could switch Bibles and not be reading the same Bible. But there are people all over the world that will gather similar to the way we are today, gather for worship, that will only have maybe a page and portion torn out of the Bible that they've left behind because of fear of having that taken away from I would say that they probably value God's Word a little more than we do. And I'm not saying that we don't value God's Word. I I do. I, I like to see the Bible laying on the coffee table. It says something about, at least to some extent, what people think about the Bible. But I don't like to see the Bible laying on the coffee table and there's enough dust there to start a small garden so you think well it's it's two sides there but what can the church do this was part of a study that I've looked at it says looking at the statistics it's easy to get discouraged when we see that the, the trends when, when they did the study it was over a period of several years and it continues it's, it's updated every year but when they look at the study and it continues to decline how many people value God's Word and, and how it's perceived and, and that sort of thing. It's mainly the younger generation that is falling quickly away from looking at God's Word as something of value. And it's easy to get discouraged when we look at that thing, but I want us to keep two things in mind this morning, that God's Word is still powerful. And we're not fighting a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Listen to what the author of Hebrews said. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The apostle Paul said in Ephesians, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against principles, a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. They understood that it wasn't a physical battle that we were fighting, that it's a spiritual battle. And the attack on God's word is not something new. And if, if the enemy can convince us that we don't really need to read God's Word and the preacher will give you enough on Sunday and Wednesday, if he can convince us of that, then he's won that spiritual battle. But the battle's been going on for since the beginning of mankind. In Genesis 3.1, the first question against the attack on God's Word was this. Did God really say? And when... We hear skeptics stand up and say that this is just another book. It's it's, uh, it's it's not really relevant for today. And part of it's true and part of it's not say true. The, basically, what they're saying is the very same thing. Did God really say? If this is what we really need to live a good moral life, and only 50% of the people believe that, then they're questioning, did God really say? But it's, it's even deeper than that because if we don't read God's Word and understand it to be the truth, then there's no other way for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because that's where that truth comes from. I want us to look this morning at Psalm 119. I like the analogy that I read this week, and I'm guilty of this, at least on the one side of it. 
this researcher said this. People look at the Bible sometimes the way they do it, healthy eating. We realize that healthy eating comes from following not really a diet, but an eating plan. You eat with purpose, and you don't just eat everything, and, and you uh, eat regularly, you eat good stuff. And, but he says, people that they realize that healthy eating is pertinent to healthy lifestyle. But he said, we have a lot of people in America that realize the Bible has a lot of value for our spiritual health but the way that we treat the Bible is the same way we treat, we treat our eating habits is we don't do it well. We realize that uh, there would be help to our spiritual health if we would just read the Bible but we just don't read it. We treat it the same way we do with our eating habits. And don't, don't raise your hand this morning but I wonder how many of us this morning had trouble finding our Bible before we came to church, the one we like to carry. I do sometimes because the one I carry is, this is my favorite Bible and it's tearing up. The pages are starting to fall out and so I don't use it during the week and I'm going to have to finally give up. And I'll be honest with you, the reason I like to carry it, the reason I like to have it in the pulpit is because it has big letters in it and I'm having trouble seeing small print. And most of them you buy today with big print are just they're just huge. And uh, so, but that's but how many of us had trouble finding the one thing in our life that I believe if we did a survey in this congregation this morning that we would say that it has great value to our life, great value to our life. But we don't treat it that way. We don't treat it that way. We don't we don't treasure it and 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 hold on to it. But I want us to look. We're going to be looking at this for the next three weeks at Psalm 119 about the value of God's Word. Psalm 119, and I, I put this in the bottom of your notes. I'm going to go ahead and talk about this a little bit. It's not, there's nothing on the PowerPoint. And I don't know how much of this I gave you, but uh, most of it I think is in there. It's a unique psalm in, in the way that it's written. There's 176 verses. And out of those 176 verses, all but five of those verses refer to the Word of God in one way or the other, whether it's called statutes or laws or, or principles or commandments or, or just says the Word of God. But not only are there 176 verses in all, but five of them contain something about the Word of God. Every one of those 176 verses mentions God in some way or another. All 176. And it's divided into the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Into eight verses in each stanza. And of those 176 verses, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, each of those starts with a different letter of the alphabet, beginning with Alpha and Beta. And in the original Hebrew language, each of those verses starts with the letter of that alphabet in that particular stanza. So there was some purpose in the way the psalm was being written. And it's full of eights. There are eight verses. There are eight 
eight different references to the Word of God or different words that, that uh, uh, the Word of God is called. And in the, in the, in the Hebrew time, the time that this was written, the, word, the letter 8, or the number 8, had a lot more significance than we have it on today. But the letter 8 really meant abundance or enough. And almost every scholar will tell you that there was significance in using that because if we really believe that God's word has great value, what the psalmist was saying here was that if we could just have God's word, we would have enough. We'd have enough to have an abundant life if we would just treasure God's word. And I may have had a few other things in that note at the bottom of your of your notes there, but it's important for us to understand the value of God's Word. And in the first nine verses of the psalm, the first section and then the next verse of the next section, uh, list all of those eight basic titles of the Bible. Testimonies, ways, statutes, commandments, and on and on. But you'll see that as we go through and, and look at God's Word. But we need to value God's Word. If the church doesn't value God's Word, we can't expect the world to value God's Word. When we look at that statistic that said 62% of young Americans have never read the Bible. I'm convinced if the Bible had never been taken out of schools, that number would be a lot lower. What God's Word is, we'll go on to our notes now. What God's Word is, God's Word is water for cleansing. Look at verse 9. I'm going to get back to my text now. Look at verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? It's good for cleansing. The whole section there deals with victory over sin. Isaiah said that our righteousness is like filthy rags, and we need to be clean. We're dirty, stained by sin, by the things we get ourselves into, the way we live our life, where we go, how we talk, how we think. And we're stained with sin, the nature that we have, and we have to overcome that in our life. And as we read God's Word and we meditate on God's Word, it cleanses our inner being just as water cleanses the body. Look at what Ephesians 5, 25-27 says. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's how God chooses to do it, through his word. So if we don't read it, if we don't have enough value, we don't value God's word enough to just read it, we can't expect to be clean by God's word. Jesus was speaking in John 15.3 when just before he was to go to the cross he was addressing the disciples listen to what he said you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you so God's word is good for cleansing there was an old man that lived in the mountains of eastern Kentucky and I can tell Kentucky jokes because I'm from Kentucky by the way they won yesterday the gators were no longer in the swamp there was an old man who lived in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. He had a large family. And one day his grandson approached him with a problem. as He was the patriarch of the family. So they went to him with all their problems. He said, Grandpa, 
called him Pat. He said, I read the Bible and I don't understand. How many of you have ever been there? Read the Bible and you go, I don't have any idea what that means. Well, I have. Probably this week I read something and I went, what's that? He said, and what I understand, I forget as soon as I close the Bible covers. Somebody will say, we're such and such, and I'll go, I don't know, but I read that just a few days ago. And he says, what's the use of reading the Bible? If I don't understand what I read, and what I do understand, I forget as soon as I close it. The grandfather ordered the grandson to get a basket they used to carry heat and cold into the house, run down to the river, and to bring back a basket full of water. Grandson looked at the basket. Well, this is not going to hold much water, but just to please his grandfather, he, he grabbed the basket, he ran down to the to the river, he got a basket of water, and ran back just as hard as he could go to the house. And when he got back to the house, the basket was empty. The grandfather chided the young boy, and he said, you're just too slow. He said, you ought to be able to run faster than that water runs out of that basket. He said, go back down there and bring me a basket of water. Do it. Do it now. Go. Run. Be faster this time. So he ran as hard as he could go. He got to the river. He filled that basket up with water. By the time he arrived at the house, the basket again was empty. He said, do it again. He come back the third time and he told his granddaddy, he said, Pat, it's no use. I can't hold the water in the basket. When I get here, it's empty. It's useless. Pap looked at him and he said, So you think it's useless? So I want you to look at your basket. Can't you see something different? The small boy was amazed. But after three trips to the river, he wasn't holding any water. But the basket was Pap said, Son, you see, that's how the Word of God does. You read. And even if you don't retain it, and even if you don't understand it, according to God's word, that's how God chooses to cleanse. God's word is there to cleanse us. We must value God's word. Not only does it cleanse us, but letter B in the notes, it's wealth beyond measure. Wealth beyond measure. Verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Solomon was given the choice. You want to be wise or you want to be rich? Solomon said, God, I think I'd rather be wise. God said, because you were wise and you'll be both wise and rich. But you know, we... We put more value, and I'm guilty. We put more value on whether or not we'll take the time to read God's Word. But we put more value on the time we have to take out to sit and watch a ball game. And then in the next breath, we'll say, I just don't have time to read my Bible. I know that hurts, but I'm guilty. If I can sit and I don't because I'm ADHD or something, I'm too afraid to be diagnosed. But I just can't sit there for three hours. I'm always doing something else if I'm even watching a game or have it on. But if I can sit and watch a ball game for three hours and I don't have time to read my Bible, something's wrong with my thinking. There's nothing wrong with watching the ball game. 
But if I'm too busy to read my Bible, then I'm too busy to watch the ball game. How much do we value God's Word? Is it wealth beyond measure, or is it just something that we spend a few dollars to buy because it's easy for us to get? But I, I don't know that we can ever get there mentally, but I want you to think about something. If today, for some reason or another, would be the last day that you would ever be able to read God's Word, do you think this afternoon you would have a different approach to how you value God's Word? I believe I would. If I knew today was the last day that I'd ever be able to read God's Word, when I think about how many times that it's called to my spirit, or how many times late at night when I couldn't sleep, I could go and grab God's Word and just calm me down. I really learned that practice about 20 years ago. Going through a time in our business life that things were just crazy. Business was controlling us rather than us controlling the business. And I was working a ton of hours, and it just seemed like there was no end to it. And, and I knew God's call on my life, and I had not yet surrendered, and I was fighting that. And, and it was just a point in our life where uh, things were happening. Uh, my father-in-law had just been killed, and that we were dealing with all of that. And uh, I was to a point in my life where I avoided going to church because every time I went, all I ever heard was about being obedient to God's call in your life, and I just didn't want to hear it. And things were just crazy, and I couldn't sleep at night. And I was going through this stress-related stuff, and uh, I'd go for days and not sleep. And I don't know when it was, but it was sometime during that time that one of those nights I couldn't sleep. I got up, and I just went and sat at the counter took out my Bible, opened it up. And it was just as though God's Spirit came and just lifted that way. Just pulled it up. And at least for that moment, I didn't deal with all the other junk. And I found peace and great relief in just reading God's Word. I couldn't put a dollar figure on that. There was wealth there beyond anything that I could ever buy because of the peace that it brought just from reading God's Word. How much do we value God's Word? Is it something that we allow to wash us? Is it wealth beyond measure in our life? Let her see in your note. Constant prayer. That's what I found. God would lead me to different passages of Scripture. I remember being the first day I went to the Southern Seminary and I went up early to do a week a week long intensive to get a jump on classes and I think it was a class that was called learning how to study. See I'd been out of school for a while and I I was scared to death. And I went up early and I remember sitting in this little bitty room. It was between semesters and it was middle of the winter time and they were half heating this thing. It was cold. It was a little bitty room that was just big enough for a twin bed and just walked down beside it. And I had, had been down and picked up the syllabus, and I had syllabus shock. You, know, just, you open it up and you go, oh, well, how am I going to do all this? 
And I remember sitting on the side of my bed, and I took out a Bible, and I won't have that one with me today, but it was a, a teen Bible. It was, it was one that we had used in, in uh, working with youth. They had all kinds of questions and stuff. For us. And, I, and I remember this plain as day. I opened up that Bible. I just opened it up. And in the middle of that page, it said, you belong. It wasn't part of the text of the scripture. It was something that they had added because it was built to work with youth. And it was talking about different things that youth go through. And it just said, you belong. And I thought, thank you, Lord. For showing me just that one little thing. Because I was beginning to have doubts. I don't, I don't have what it takes to get through school again, do this again. And it was just simply, you belong. And I went back sometime later after that happened. And I went back to try to find that in that Bible. And I looked. And as much as I could, I went through that thing, just page by page. And I never found it. But it was God's answer for me at that time. And it came through His Word. And I'm sure it's still in there. I'm just not smart enough to find it. But it just said simply, you belong. A constant friend. Look at verse 24, Psalm 119. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Wow. I can go to them for counsel. They'll be there as my friend. Because you look at verse 19 just before that. It says, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke, rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray, who stray from your commandments. Remove my reproach and contempt where I have kept your testimony. Princes also sit and speak against me. But your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. And my when all the world tends to fall in on you, the Bible can be your constant friend. Look at what Proverbs 6, 20-22 says. My son, keep your father's commands. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they'll guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. I'm telling you. You'll allow God's Word to be your friend. It can not only cleanse you, it can not only be valuable to you, a wealth of knowledge and health, it can be a constant friend. Letter D in your notes, it's also a light. A light. Verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, the lamp was something that was close to the ground and, and watched every step that we made. That's how God's word can be to us. There's nothing we'll ever face in life that can't the answer can't be found right here. Ever. Ever. God has dealt with everything, we'll, every issue that we'll ever face in life is right here. And there's nothing wrong with sitting down with a counselor or reading a good self-help uh, help book. But it's all right here. It's a light into our, a lamp to our 
feet and a light into my path. You see, the light is, is a broader spectrum to, to help us look farther out in front of us to, to, to the direction that we're going. It takes us. The light takes us a step at a time as we walk in obedience. The lamp keeps me from stumbling. The light shows our path out. I told David this story this past week, last weekend, I think. I, when I first went to Baptist College of Florida up in the Panhandle, I worked on security. And we just patrolled. We just walked around, made sure doors were locked at night. And certain buildings had to be locked at 9 o'clock. And certain buildings had to be locked at 11 o'clock. And, of course, where the young kids hung out, that was probably 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. But uh, we just did this patrol thing. And we did what we were supposed to do each time we made a round. And, there was an area in kind of like the courtyard out here that had shrubs down two sides of it, and it was dark. There was no light in there whatsoever. Never thought anything about it. I mean, all you had was, you know, if the sky was clear, it was, you, know, you could see. But if, if it was cloudy and dark, it was just dark. And I don't know if I just wasn't smart enough or just was too lazy to carry a flashlight. But that was the only place on the whole campus that was dark. And... The reason I went that way is because there was a sidewalk that went down in that direction and it brought you out to the next place you needed to be. You know, you could walk around and just miss it all together, but I just cut through there because it was easy to do. And one night I was walking around through there just like I always did and I came around the corner and it was lit up and I got just started down to those shrubs and out of those shrubs, a cat jumped and screamed at the same time he jumped and I yelled, scared me half to death. Well, I would have given a lot at that point in time if I'd had just a little bit of light for my past. But I would have probably seen that cat. But it scared me to death. You know what? Many of us go through life, the dark path that we walk on, we would keep this light, this lamp to our feet, and the light of our path. Just hide a little bit of it in you know, because it's not about helping us take care of the problems we had yesterday. But the path is what we're heading into. And we would be better equipped to face the darkness of tomorrow if we had just a little bit more light buried in our home. It's a light. It's a lamp. Better in our notes. It's our hope. It's where our hope lies. We have 62% of young Americans who have never read the Bible. If we really believe that this is our hope, where's that hope? I'm going to share one other statistic with you. The Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truths. 16% of all Americans agree with that statement. That the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions in the same spiritual thing. Here's the sad statistic. Not just all those who say they're a Christian. This was narrowed down to all Protestants. 
that eliminates Catholicism. 12%, only 4% different, 12% of all practicing Protestants agree with that statement that the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same thing. Where have we gone in the church when we are almost in the same agreement as general America? And here's another sad truth. They surveyed Catholics. 26% agree with that statement. More than the general American public. Where have we gone astray in valuing God's Word and what it really is? It's a hope. Look at verse 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in its ordinances. Now, you know, if I haven't read it, if I'm part of that 62%, and I haven't read it, then I really have no hope. 40, verse 49. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. It's through the pages of Scripture when I read about who's going to win the final battle. What I have in my future, that's what I gain hope and I gain it from reading God's Word. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The psalmist says our hope is found Understanding and treasure the ordinances, the truths that we find in God's Word. We've got to read it more. I have to read it more. Not just read it, but meditate on it. Chew it up. Allow it to become part of who I am. Do I really value God's Word? Where's my hope? Where's my hope? We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. Just, we're going to sing a song. The words are going to be on the screen. I'm going to ask Miller to 